Thank you, Lee. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. I thought I'd be as comfortable this morning as you are at home. Uh, Jonah 1 and verse 17. I want to remind you that the target audience of the book of Jonah is Israel. Israel has gone into idolatry. They are worshiping God both in the northern part of those ten tribes and in the southern part near the uh, nation of Judah. Uh, Israel has split. Idolatry has uh, permeated uh, the nation. And God is leveraging the prophet uh, to tell the story that Israel needs to hear. And so God is faithfully pursuing Israel right now. And so in your outline, you'll see that I've, while I've put God is doing something for Jonah, I want to remind you, and I've put in parenthesis the word Israel, because that's the target audience. Um, now, that, that, that isn't the final audience. The final audience is us and generations to come. As we understand what God is saying to Israel, we can understand its application to us. So if you would, in your Bibles to Jonah... Uh, chapter 1, verse 17, and let's read together. And this is, this is one of the best stories in the Bible. I think all of our children at home know this story, and I would ask you children to send me your best Jonah in the fish story, or a picture. Send me the best picture you can, um, post it online, and uh, I'll do the best one I can. Matthew, my son at home, Jonathan, you guys got to do it too, Okay. Make us a good picture of Jonah in the whale or in the big fish, and uh, let's post them online and see them together. So hear the word of God. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land the word of the Lord. I think the lesson for today, and I think a consistent lesson in the book of Jonah, 
is that God is relentlessly pursuing his people. Jonah learns that he cannot flee from God's persistent grace. One of your study questions is in Psalm 139, where the psalmist asks, where can I flee from your presence? Well, I think Jonah, as he started out, was trying to run from the presence of the Lord. God found him. God found him in the bottom of a ship. God threw him into the sea, or had the sailors throw him into the sea. And now God has found him in the ocean, and God knows exactly where he is. And so a persistent message is that you cannot run from the Lord because God loves you too much, and he is going to pursue you with his very persistent grace. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, which is really a book about Jonah, reminds us that our persistent rebellion does not wear out God's steadfast love. And just like this prophet who constantly pushes back against the Lord, God patiently takes him by the hand and leads him back to himself. So let's look at God's persistent grace. Let's look at Jonah's experience and what God is doing in Jonah's life. I think the first thing is that God is pursuing Jonah. And there's several things in the text that really put the emphasis of the text and of the actions and the experience on God. So let's go through the text quickly. Number one, verse 17 says, The Lord appointed a great fish. Notice who's responsible for the great fish. Remember in chapter 1, the text says, The Lord sent a storm. These are all statements by the author, Jonah, about as he looks back at this experience and he testifies that God is the one who was leading him by the hand, that God is the one who was creating this situation so that he would come back to the Lord. So the Lord appointed a great fish. Don't miss that word, appointed. Secondly, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. The Lord appointed a fish. Jonah had no idea if he was going to die once he was thrown over into the sea. But he found that God had appointed the fish, and he's in that fish, and he hasn't died. Now, he might still think he's about to, but he hasn't. And so the fact that he's alive and in the belly of the fish is only by the goodness and the grace of God. Um, God plays with Leviathan. We don't know what Leviathan was, but the Scripture tells us that in the morning, God, God speaks to Leviathan and commands him. And he even asked Jonah that, uh, not Jonah, Job. If you remember uh, the story of Job, uh, when Job is being questioned, God asked him, can you tell Leviathan what to do? Well, God can, and God did. And in that fish, whatever this is, uh, whatever kind of animal, in that animal, God has commanded it, and God is sustaining Jonah's life even in this moment. And notice that uh, Jonah's very aware that God has answered him, that holding on to his life is something that Jonah sees as God's provision, because he should be dead. He says, you cast me into the deep. It wasn't the sailors. I love that. Jonah doesn't blame the sailors for what they did. He says, God's the one who cast me into the deep. Jonah has a different look, outlook 
a different perspective on what he experienced as he's writing this to the people of Israel. You, God, you've cast me into this moment. You've created this situation and put me right in the center of it. And I want to speak to our teenagers uh, on this. I think this is really important. You know, teens, you look at the world today, and this is probably your first pandemic. Uh, this is probably your first real crisis uh, where you're aware of what's going on. The housing crisis probably didn't touch you in 2007 and 2008. But this is touching you. This is your experience now. And it can create a lot of fear about the world. It can create fear about you having your own family, providing for that family, It can create fear about why should I bring children into this broken world? Let me tell you, God's been present with his people through much darker days. And God will be present with you. What God calls you to in this moment is not to fear the future, but to live in the grace of the present. And to trust that God is going to take care of you and provide for you in the future. So, be fruitful and multiply. Go, go and enjoy the gifts of God, the life that God has given you, and fulfill the calling of God in your life. And know that God's going to be with you in the future, whatever it looks like. It might not look like you think. It might be better. There will be hard times. But God will be present. So Jonah recognizes that it's God who's put him in the sea. Jonah's Interesting, he says, your waves and your billows. Uh, when, the, when Jonah looks back at the sea and the storm, he says, these were yours, God. Jonah acknowledges God's sovereignty in this moment. And he says, you brought up my life. The fact that he was alive and the fact that he would be soon spit up on the dry land testifies that God brought his life. God was sustaining his life. And then the Lord spoke to the fish. Now remember, Jonah probably wrote this after these events. And Jonah knows as a prophet of God that God told the fish what to do. So notice, Jonah recognizes God has been pursuing him. Now here's an important point. God never lost Jonah. He never did. He knew exactly where he was at all times. When he first spoke to him, he knew exactly where he was and what he was doing. He knew what kind of prophet he was in Israel, whether he had condemned the idolatry or not. And it appears because the only real prophecy we have from Jonah is telling the king to expand their territory. It appears, at least, that Jonah had not spoken out about the idolatry of God's people. God knew exactly what kind of man he was, what kind of prophet, and he knew exactly where he was. God didn't lose Jonah. Jonah had lost his God. Jonah, I mean, just the fact that he's running from God and disregarding the command of God should tell us something about Jonah's state of mind and Jonah's relationship with the Lord. Jonah had lost his God. God had orchestrated exactly what Jonah needed to remember him. And I think God is orchestrating exactly what we as a church need to remember him. 
Secondly, God allows Jonah and Israel to experience the darkness. Now, what is the darkness? Well, the darkness is symbolized by the sea. Throughout the scriptures and throughout Canaanite literature, the sea was was viewed as a dark, dangerous place, a place of evil, a place of large sea creatures that were untamed, a place of death. And so God allows Jonah to experience the darkness, and Jonah very much captures in his language the fact that the sea to him was separation from God, that the sea to him was a place of darkness, a place of death. In fact, he, he calls it Sheol, which is the grave. So let's go through the text first. Jonah talks about being in the belly of the fish and then says it's the belly of Sheol. So Jonah is equating his experience with a near-death experience. Jonah is equating this with the darkness of evil and the darkness of death. And, uh, and God has sent him there. God is letting him experience all the fear, the anxiety, all of the, uh, the uh, uncertainty of what the future would hold in this moment. Uh, Jonah says, I'm driven away from your sight. Now, I want to stop here and remind you, Jonah was not driven away. God did not drive Jonah away. God knows exactly where Jonah is. God is present with Jonah. What drove Jonah away was his own disregard for the Lord. What drove Jonah away was Jonah's own desires. And this is, this is exactly what James says when he says that we're not tempted by God, but we're tempted because our desires pull us away from the Lord. And so this is what's happening. Jonah does not say, God drove me away. He said, I am driven away from your sight through my circumstance, but spiritually because of his own waywardness. Notice, secondly, he says, the waters closed, the deep surrounded me, and life was fainting away. Jonah paints a pretty dark picture of what he's experiencing. I wonder if you feel that right now. Um, I talked to somebody this, this last week, or maybe it was the week before, somebody that I love and really appreciate their perspective, and we were talking about depression, and we were talking about what it feels uh, how our, our emotions can make us uh, feel in moments like this. And they, they used a word picture that was very real to me. In Israel, there are these large cisterns, basically big holes in the ground, but that, that they have been plastered and run off from the mountains, from the snow and from the rains. Uh, it flows down troughs into these cisterns and fills them up. They're huge. They're massive. And she said, I feel like I'm alone in a cistern. Man, that's that's great word picture and language. I know that feeling. I know that darkness. And I'm sure you do too. I want to encourage you first to process that, to talk to people about that. If you're feeling that way, join one of our support groups or call someone in our church and talk to them. You are not alone. You might feel alone in a large cistern cut off, but you are not. But that's a great picture, and that's what Jonah's experiencing. And you felt that way, and you might be feeling that way now. 
Jonah's darkness was not because of his suffering, though. And Jonah recognizes that. The darkness that he's experiencing is because of the absence of God or his perceived absence of God. Remember, God's present with him. But because Jonah has pushed God away from him, God feels absent. And so while Jonah is suffering, he feels alone. He feels abandoned. He feels like he is not in the presence of the Lord. And it's the absence of God that made him that made the darkness come. God didn't lose Jonah. I'm saying it again. God did not lose Jonah. Jonah had lost God. And folks, this is probably what some of us are experiencing, some of you are experiencing. I know it is for me. I have had to take heavier doses of the Scripture this week. I have had to take heavier doses of prayer and time with the Lord this week to calm my own fears and to deal with my own emotions and my own anxieties. But Jonah had lost God. Jonah needed the presence of the Lord. Jonah needed to walk into that presence and experience it. God didn't lose Jonah. As we face these things, the reason you feel so well, might be, the reason you feel so alone could be that your hope hasn't been on the Lord. That there's been hope placed somewhere else. And that's why what's happening in Jonah's life is so important, because he says he's remembered the Lord. See, it wasn't, it wasn't God that lost Jonah. It was Jonah that lost God. It wasn't God that had forgotten Jonah. It was Jonah who had forgotten the Lord. It was Israel who had forgotten the Lord. And this situation had created that opportunity for God to lead Jonah by the hand back to remembering him. And that's, what, that's how the, the prayer ends. Now, it's actually in a Hebrew poetry form. And so this refrain is picked up at the very beginning when Jonah says, I prayed and you answered me. And here he says at the end, he talks about God restoring his life. Look at some things in the text. Number one, he answered me from the beginning part. Number two, you heard my voice. Number three, I shall again look at the holy temple. Now remember, why does he look to the holy temple? Because God had put his presence there. And because that's the place where God presided in his presence over the mercy seat. The place where animal sacrifices were made to receive the mercy of God. And Jonah says, I'm going to see the mercy of God again. I'm going to look back to you for your mercy. He talks about God bringing up his life, sustaining his life, and rescuing him from the fish. And notice what he calls God. He calls him, O Lord, my God. This is important language. This is Jonah referencing the covenant name of God, Lord, Yahweh. The word, the the name that God presented Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt, and he says, This is what you tell them. This is who you tell them has sent you, Moses. Yahweh. And the the emphasis of this word is on God's presence. His eternality 
but also on his presence. And then he says, my Elohim, my God. And this is the Hebrew's word for the God of all the gods, the living, the, the, the top dog, if you will, which is God spelled backwards. And, and so Jonah's recognizing something here. Jonah's recognizing something. I worship Jehovah. He says, I remembered the Lord. How had he forgotten God had spoken to him? Well, he had been running from God, but probably he's referring to his own failure to confront idolatry in the land of Israel. Somehow he had forgotten the Lord. He says, my prayer came to you. And then he ends with this great declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a great statement. Notice the language of it. Who owns salvation? It's possessive. Who does salvation belong to? It is not Jonah. In the book, it is not the sailors who rowed even harder. It belongs to Yahweh. It belongs to the Lord. And Jonah finally recognizes that. God graciously leads Jonah to confess the foolishness of idolatry and the loss of hope in God's steadfast love. Notice that. Let me say that again. God graciously leads Jonah to confess the foolishness of idolatry and the loss of hope in God's steadfast love. Look at this verse with me in your text. It's verse 8. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols. He, he calls the idols of the land vain. Empty, foolish, uh, ridiculous that we would worship these things. Uh, money, power, success, or actual idolatry. Those who pay regard to vain idols, notice what he says, forsake their hope of steadfast love. The word steadfast love there is God's covenant presence and faithfulness promised to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's commitment to faithfulness every morning, as Jeremiah says, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Jonah says, I've experienced that before, but because I have transferred my hope to vain idols, I've lost that experience. My hope is no longer or wasn't in God's steadfast, faithful love. Now it's been misplaced, and I've forsaken that hope. I've lost my hope in God's steadfast, faithful love. Folks, that's what idolatry does. It blocks us from receiving the grace of God. God has grace ready for us right now to sustain us to sustain you as your home with your children, to provide for you and calm your heart, to garrison, to bring the peace of God into your heart. The self-righteousness, self-protection, confidence in the uncertainty of riches, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, all these things will rob us. They will block us. It's not God refusing. It's us refusing to receive because God gives grace to the humble, to those who say, God, I have no hope outside of you, which is exactly where Jonah gets. 
Jonah gets right back to trusting in God's steadfast love. And so here's the point. We don't lose hope. Hope is not something you can lose. You have hope today in something. Hope isn't lost. It's simply misplaced. And by misplaced, I don't mean you can't find it. I mean you put it on the wrong thing. You placed it on the wrong thing. Folks, we don't lose hope. We put it on the wrong thing. That's why Paul says in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may have hope. Where does hope come from? It comes from the Spirit. But notice the first part of Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope. The God who is the subject or the object of our hope. It's not the God who hopes. It's the God in whom we've placed our hope. Folks, we don't lose our hope. We misplace it. The anxiety, the fear that you're feeling could in part be due to the fact that you have misplaced your hope in the financial markets. That you have misplaced your security and put it on the uncertainty of riches. And it's not that we worship money. We worship what money does for us. What it promises us. The dreams we create around it. We don't lose our hope. We misplace it. I wonder what God is calling you to forsake and put your hope back on Him. Maybe it's your health regimen, all your exercise. Maybe it's your 401k or your investments. I don't know what it is. God does. My prayer is that the Spirit of God will speak to your heart and call you to put your hope back on the Lord. God led Jonah back to himself. So some discussion, I mean, some application questions. Have you been to hell? Have you been to Sheol? Have you been to that dark place? Now, you might be headed there right now, but probably like me, you can look back over your life and say, I've been there. I remember some very dark times in my life. I want to remind you, God was there. He hadn't left you. If he felt absence, if he felt absent, it wasn't him. Have you discovered the vanity of idols? I wonder how we're all being called away from not our overt idols, but kind of our functional deities, the ones that we rely on every day that we don't even realize. I'll tell you right now, God is calling you back to himself and showing you the powerlessness of the things that we worship. Thirdly, remember the Lord. Man, be like Jonah today. I don't, it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey. You might just be a guest with us today online. I would call you to remember the Lord God. 
I would urge you to know that God loves you and that his love is faithful and steadfast. And now's the time for heavier doses of him. Heavier doses than you've taken before. He is the great antibiotic to your soul. I urge you to remember the Lord, to pursue him. You will find him because he wills to be found. And we praise him for that. Then finally, I want to ask this question. How is Jesus better than Jonah? How is Jesus a better prophet? How is Jesus a better example to us than Jonah? My mind immediately goes to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about the mind of Christ. It's a humble mind. It's a mind that doesn't think of its own interests, but thinks of the interests of others. And Paul demonstrates that by telling us that Jesus, though being in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be held on to. Let me tell you, Jonah wasn't there. Jonah loved his privileged position. Jonah loved Israel's privilege and wasn't willing to sacrifice it. Jesus had privileged position, glory. The glory that he talks about in John 17 when he says, Father, the glory that I had with you before the world was, that I asked for it back because I've glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And what does Paul say Jesus did with that glory? Though he did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, Jesus didn't worship his glory. Jesus didn't worship his privileged position. The Son of God loves the Father. The Father comes first to the Son. And so Jesus willingly laid aside that glory to become our obedient Savior. My friends, Jesus is so much better than Jonah. And he is the salvation of God. As his name, Jesus, declares, salvation belongs to the Lord. God bless you. Let's pray together. Know that we are praying that God will minister to you. And hear the story of Jonah as God persistently pursues you. God hasn't lost you. Consider whether you've lost God. Let me pray for us. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your great love and your great grace. We praise you that even today you are pursuing us. Help us to pursue you, to remember you, and to cry out to you for the grace, the help, the mercy, the peace, all the benefits of Christ to cry out to you and receive from your hand what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen.